Hey there, this is Chan Adkins, the Explainer General, for the Nonfiction Minute podcast. Well, lucky you. Black History Month is February, and we have a clutch of Black History Lollapaloozas. For our first feature, our own Janice Adams will explain why February is Black History Month, and it's a noble tale. Why is Black History Month celebrated in February? The answer is really quite lovely. For black people enslaved, a birthday was as hard to come by as justice, but never one to be outdone by the impossible. Frederick Bailey wanted a birthday, and a birthday he was going to have. First, he'd have to find out when it was. He'd heard that his father was the slave owner from whom he'd escaped, so he couldn't ask him. His mother, Harriet Bailey, had been sold away from him when he was only five, so he couldn't ask her. But he could remember stories she'd told him before they'd been separated. She said he was born on a Maryland plantation in the teens. He chose the mid-teens, 1818, for his birth year. She'd always called him her little Valentine. He chose Valentine's Day for his birth date. With that, Frederick finally had the birthday he'd always wanted, February 14th, 1818. Then, in 1926, Dr. Carter G. Woodson wanted to solve a problem. For centuries, Americans were taught to believe that African Americans had no history or culture. Now that is, of course, impossible. Everyone inherits the history and culture of their family elders. But this horrific idea was used to justify slavery and segregation by making black people seem less than human. Dr. Woodson had a better idea. He'd tell the truth. He would research and share the true history of black people in countries throughout the world. To promote his idea, he created Negro History Week, now Black History Month. He chose February in honor of two birthdays. Born on February 12, 1809, Abraham Lincoln was the first American president to take action to end slavery. Born on February 14, 1818, Harriet Bailey's Little Valentine became the noted Underground Railroad conductor, abolitionist, and publisher, Frederick Douglass. As a special advisor to President Lincoln, he proposed, and the president wrote and signed, the Emancipation Proclamation Ending Slavery. Such is the power of love. We never know how we will remember what our parents say or what their words will mean to us when we need them most. Frederick's mother, an enslaved woman with so little to give, empowered her son for life with the gift of her enduring love. For this lovely reason, February is Black History Month. I'm Janice Adams. You're about to meet one of my favorite artists. Cheryl Harness will introduce you to the talented, soulful Edmonia Lewis. A Nonfiction Minute by Cheryl Harness. Edmonia's Statues. Every year, many thousands of visitors to Washington, D.C. make their way to the crossing of 8th 
and F Streets to an enormous building with many columns. Once it was the U.S. Patent Office building. Now it's the Smithsonian American Art Museum. And there, up on the third floor, those visitors might well admire a big statue of Egypt's Cleopatra VII at the moment when she was dying in the summer of 30 B.C. She was carved in Italy out of snow-white marble. When people first saw it in Philadelphia in 1876 at America's big 100th birthday party, they were so surprised to discover that the sculptor was a woman. Still more unusual, she was an African-American. Her name was Mary Edmonia Lewis. Her ancestors came from Africa, Haiti, and the Native American Ojibwa or Chippewa tribe. She grew up in western New York. With money her big brother made, mining for gold out west, talented Edmonia went to Ohio's Oberlin College, but not for long. Two white girls there lied, saying she tried to poison them. Then a bunch of people beat her up. So her brother helped her settle in Boston, where she learned to sculpt. By age 20, Ms. Lewis had her own sculpture studio. She was so successful that she was able to leave racist, Civil War-torn America in 1865 to sculpt and study in Rome. When she heard the glorious news that the war was over and America's slaves were emancipated, she celebrated by sculpting an African-American man and woman unchained. In the years after she created her dying Cleopatra, both the artist and her masterpiece were lost to history. But now we know that Ms. Lewis ended her days in England in 1907. Her Cleopatra wound up in Washington, D.C. But there's a little more to tell. About the time Ms. Lewis left for Italy, President Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural ball was held March 6, 1865, at the old patent office building when it was new. Little did he know that in about five weeks he'd be mortally wounded over at Ford's Theater, or that the building where he and his wife were dancing would be a treasure house of art, including a dying queen sculpted by a great African-American artist. Now our spunky Roxy Monroe will introduce another African-American heroine, Queen Bess. Bessie Coleman by Roxy Monroe. Bessie Coleman, better known as Queen Bess, was America's first black woman pilot. Born in Texas in 1892 into a world of extreme poverty and deepening racial discrimination, her dream to amount to something one day was fought against overwhelming odds. Working as a manicurist in a Chicago barbershop, she read about World War I pilots. She decided that she wanted to become a pilot. But she was met with the reaction, you? A Negro and a woman? You must be joking. Undeterred, Bessie sought the advice of a valued customer in the barbershop. Go to France, he said. The French are much more accepting of both women and blacks. But first, learn the language. That same day, Bessie began taking French lessons. 
A few months later, she sailed for France and signed up with an aviation school. Her training included everything from bank turns and looping the loop to airplane maintenance. In 1921, she became the first black woman to earn a pilot's license. Back in the U.S., an African-American woman pilot was big news. Thunderous applause and a rousing rendition of the Star-Spangled Banner greeted Bessie at her first air show in New York. Memphis and Chicago followed. Bessie's future never looked brighter. She managed to buy an old Curtis Jenny, a favorite plane among barnstormers. She was heading for a performance in Los Angeles when the engine stalled. She crashed onto the street below, was knocked unconscious, broke one leg, and fractured several ribs. Distraught over having disappointed her fans, she sent a telegram to the local newspaper. As soon as I can walk, I'm going to fly. Seven months later, she was back in a barred plane performing to upbeat crowds in Ohio, Texas, and Florida. Bessie loved flying and accepted its risks, but her real ambition was to open a flight school. Sadly, she didn't live to see her dream realized. In 1926, her old, run-down plane went into a spin. Bessie was thrown out of her seat and fell to her death. At her funeral, thousands paid their respects to the brave young aviator. With her pluck and determination, Bessie Coleman had set an example for many black people. Shortly thereafter, the Bessie Coleman Aereo Club in Los Angeles became a reality, introducing young blacks to the world of aviation. Among those inspired by Bessie was Dr. Mae Jemison, the first woman African-American astronaut. That's it for this podcast, my dears. Glad you joined us, and we'll talk again soon. This is Jan Adkins for the Nonfiction Minute podcast, Over and Out.